0: Hi, hi, and welcome to another episode of Gossip and Critical Thought. It's me, Quine. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. It's just me today, as I'm sure you can tell by the title of the episode. And we're going to talk about things that have been on my mind lately, Um, which is self-care, work-life balance, and lessons from the pandemic to get through the pandemic, to have taken away from the pandemic. Truly, I'm not really sure where we're at or when this is going up or what the say of the world will be, so we're leaving it pretty open-ended. But we'll get right into it. Let's talk self-care, you know? I think self-care is one of those things that we've all become much, if not better at, we've come to acknowledge more as maybe not a need, but definitely something that exists in the world that a lot of people do take part in. And so I guess self-care, the definition anyway, differs from person to person, but the Google definition, and I know I don't usually fact check things, but I don't want to be misquoted. So the Google definition that I found was that self-care is a practice of taking action to preserve or improve one's own health. It's pretty open ended, right? Like it's not talking about specifically what type of health, whatever health you want to define it as helping. There you go. So that's the definition of self care. Self care to me though, I guess embodies pretty much the same. It's about putting into practice an action or a task or, you know, it's not always a physical, actionable, visible thing. Sometimes it's just saying no to things, knowing my own boundaries. But it's it's doing things so that I feel better and I can properly look after myself, you know? So that's my definition of self-care. Um, it obviously will vary from person to person because, shockingly, everybody's different. Uh, my practice of self-care tends to look at taking time away from things, uh, silence, a lot of space. There's nothing I love more than driving several hundreds of kilometers away <laughs> from where I live. And I should mention that I'm on Treaty 1 territory today. Haven't recorded an episode not on Treaty 1, but that's where I am right now. So several hundreds of kilometers away from where I live to go to somewhere else. And so most recently, I went to Treaty 2 territory. I believe it is Reading Mountain National Park beautiful parks, stunning, even in the winter. I know a lot of people don't go camping. I didn't go camping, just to clarify, but don't go to parks in the winter, and I think everybody should. They're, I mean, they're there for one, and they're stunning for another. Um, Obviously, it gets pretty cold here in MB, but if you live somewhere, you know, where you can layer up or don't have to layer up, I'd recommend going. Where was I going with this? Can't remember. Um, Oh, yes. So my version of self-care looks like taking time away from the things that I guess make up the most of my identity. So work for one, my other two works for another because they're both fitness related um, and have a lot to do with personality and, and talking and convincing people to do, you know, this thing that I think is really fun, which is working out. But most people don't think is very fun. Taking time away from having to be on, from having to be somebody and I can just be myself. And don't get me wrong, I love my jobs. I love my jobs. But I think sometimes, too, I get lost in being my jobs or doing my jobs well because I do care very much about being a good employee. And that, in turn, means I don't really look after myself. So nothing brings me greater joy than being able to take time away from having to be some be myself for somebody else than just being outdoors no expectations besides you know leaving no trace and not getting surprised by like a wolf or something which I mean it's a national park so you're gonna see wildlife yeah so that's me I try and keep self-care simple because for it to feel good for me anyway everyone is different Um, it has to be replicable pretty frequently and not drain me of all my income (laughs) Um, because losing money stresses me out, right? So I can't can't be doing that. But in in self-care being better or not better, being more of a industry, it's been commercialized in the strangest way. And again, this is just my opinion. You can always, you know, raise a different point. But self-care is almost about items now items and products and and material goods which I'm not saying it shouldn't be but I think too if you're spending $800 on luxury skincare for example um and then only making minimum payments on your credit card then you feel good in that moment you look good in that moment I'd hope if it's $800 it's doing something for your skin you know um you look good you feel good But then there's all the other, you know, the inevitability of when you spend money and you put on a credit card, it will come back to you. So that's something I've noticed. Like I see posters or I guess infographics, flyers, little Instagram ads for self-care. But then I go and look up what these products are and how much they cost. And I'm a a little taken aback. And maybe Instagram just doesn't have my algorithm right. I don't know how they got it so wrong, but maybe they just don't have it right. And that's why I'm getting these ads for pricier things than I would ever reasonably buy. That's just my thoughts on that though, in terms of products and the need for for things to make us feel, I guess, like we're doing something for our for our health and whatever capacity that entails. I think too, that there's a lot of noise, as is with anything on social media, there is a lot of noise. What quote unquote side you're on is irrelevant there is just generally a lot of noise because it's a lot of information at our fingertips all the time instantly every day no breaks all gas you know what I mean and so there's tricks and tips for what should be your self-care and what isn't your self-care but I think in following these things following these infographic Instagram posts and and whatnot uh we kind of get lost too in that we're not really acknowledging that we're all different in our self-care. And so it's almost like a competition of what's the prettier infographic because it's still a video, not a video, it's still a visual platform. It's gravitating towards a video platform, but it is still visual. And so in trying to get those clicks and trying to get those likes, the more aesthetically pleasing, the more visually pleasing to the eye, that is what will draw people in. But then I think then these very rigid tricks and tips of what self-care is or should be to someone kind of gets, I don't know, put up on a pedestal almost, you know? It gets put up on a pedestal and then that becomes the benchmark, the baseline for self-care. It's not a place to be in and it's a little little weird. But Instagram as a whole has this very Instagrammy wellness. So I know that self-care I'm talking about... uh, going somewhere quiet essentially like a national park or a provincial park or just out in the woods away from i live in a city so away from noise i i guess is what i'm trying to do uh find solace be at peace whatever but i think instagram has kind of also promoted this um instagrammy wellness version of self-care being packageable consumable and beautiful And so I talked about the commercialization of self-care, not self-care, sorry. I talked about my own self-care being just like a form of mild escapism. Um, But there are parts of self-care that aren't as pretty or Instagrammable, and those are the things like therapy. Therapy is very ugly for some people. I would argue for most people, but I don't want someone's lawyer, aunt, or uncle to come for me. So for some people, that's... Like therapy is therapy is can be part of self-care, but it can be very ugly. You know, um, removing yourself from certain social circles, refusing certain things in life that you like. Um, they don't have to be substances, they could be material things like shopping or even food. Um, I'm not saying don't eat, okay, that's not what I'm saying. But in caring for yourself, not just from a health perspective, but just overall you might have to forgo those things. Withdrawal or the engaging in the act of self-care by removing those things for your life can be very ugly. But that's not what you photograph. You photograph the eye patches. Are they eye patches? Those under eye things. I feel like they're not called eye patches because that's the pirate thing. Yeah, whatever. You you photograph the eye patches, you photograph the face masks, you photograph um, the pedicures, the manicures the journaling but the journaling that's very cute and sweet and gratitude not the journaling where you're unpacking as you write emotional trauma from 10 years ago you know and so we all know instagram is fake but i am seeing or i am i guess taking note of this instagram wellness that's really really being fed to us and just the way in which it makes you feel like you're not doing self care properly which There is no wrong way because it's self-care. Myself is different from anyone else's self. And even if we pretended we were twins and mimicked everything step by step by step, we'll never be the same, you know? And I think especially now as we go through different times, self-care during hard times is, well, hard for lack of a better word. Like, it's just difficult. It's difficult to find time to do. It's difficult to know what to do. And especially when times are hard, it's almost silly to want to do self-care. There's a war going on, but let me take time to, you know, properly cleanse this this evening. That would be weird. It, it seems weird to do. It seems almost childish to do. And it's it's hard to know what to do, but ultimately you do have to take care of yourself first, and even more so, if your mental health is not with it, you need to take care of that. You know, I love fitness, don't get me wrong, but... It doesn't really matter how shredded I am if I can't deal with what's in my head because that's what controls my body. That it, It's hard to find time for self-care during during these times and it feels very silly, but I know those are the times when I probably need it the most because if that's how I feel about myself, I probably need to take a break, right? Probably need to slow it down, come back, ground myself, that all that sort of stuff. I think too, in this promotion of self-care that we're all pushing forward um, with the best intentions always, we're forgetting that self-care doesn't look the same across cultures. I know for one, my background of being Nigerian, self-care is not a discussion. Maybe it's a discussion people are having now, but wasn't a discussion back then because there was there was just I mean, there's just always something to do. You don't have time to feel down on yourself. You don't have time to be downtrodden or upset because, one, someone else has it worse. And two, if you feel upset, fix your situation kind of thing. Um, That's not criticism of the culture. I know a lot of countries or even cultures probably still operate that way. When you come from places that have had such hardship and are just recently, very recently, decolonized, it's hard. To just, you can't just like rise up out of the ashes, you know? I think it's been 61 years of independence. It'll be 62 this year in 2022. 62 years of being freed from colonization is not a lot of time. Most adults I know are, you know, pretty close to 60. Some of my friends' parents are pretty close to 60. That's not a lot of time. So, The concept of self-care of indulgence, I guess that's how it's seen back home is it's indulgence. And you don't have time to indulge because you have to work. You have to provide for your family. You have to do your best to, you know, function in a country that has so much prosperity and so much potential, but is put in the hands of people who are not looking after, not looking after the interests of everybody and really only just hoarding capital for themselves and so I think a lot of that becomes ingrained in people you know which I think is part of the reason that they turn to we're going off on a tangent here bear with me which I think is part of the reason why um, a faith in countries that are poor or struggling is so high you need something to believe in and so people turn to that I don't really have a comment on that I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong I think that's just the way it is um, I do think having something to believe in is nice, whether that's faith or something else. I think that's just nice to have. But yeah, in cultures like that, self-care, a face mask, no time for it. Absolutely no time for it. There's other things always to do and other things to to address. So I think culturally we, we forget that not everyone can just like do self-care. In line with that, though, I think that there's ways to show caring People. So I know self care is addressing yourself naturally. And so that can be a product. But I know that in my culture, showing your care for others is feeding people. You know, providing food, taking the time to make a dish, taking the time to feed someone is incredibly thoughtful. It's not taken lightly, it's not taken as a like, thanks, and then leaving dirty dishes. You are very grateful to people for feeding you because. It's not like there's a lot to go around. So if someone's taking the time to feed you and care for you, you better be very grateful, you know? And so I do I do the same thing. Like part of I guess part of my self care that I put outward is feeding people. I like feeding people, I like baking for people, it brings me a lot of joy, makes me happy, never feels like work. And so maybe culturally that's that's the difference, is that self care is also kind of being selfless in a way. When I was thinking about this episode, um, I want to get numbers. I like stats. I like knowing, you know, how much money is moving uh, places, who's getting rich, who's getting poor, etc, etc. So I was very, very curious as to how much the self-care industry made or makes. And I found a stat that said, what year was this? I want to say it's, let's say it's 2021. Okay, but the self-care industry has become about a four hundred and fifty billion dollar market, spanning across several uh, CPG categories. This is me pulling this quote from Google because, and this is because people have been taking a more holistic approach to self-care, using a variety of products that can really effectively impact their health and wellness. So it's not just one or two things; it's a mixture, a concoction, if you will, of different things. And it's it's really interesting to see who's getting all that money. Not me. Um, I'm the consumer in this way. But I know that at least here in Winnipeg, uh, there are a lot of... Well, the self-care I'm thinking of is skincare and products in that realm. So I can think of a handful of local skincare or skincare-adjacent brands that have popped up. I like that people are turning their passions into a business for them. Um, So that's really good. And I think because people are taking a holistic approach, they're more willing also to spend on local businesses, on things that are cleaner this business is is huge it's it's massive and i think it's only going to grow the more you know tumultuous life life gets and it's pretty effectively promoted like i will go to a shoppers and there will be ads of like take time treat yourself do this and they're lighthearted colorful suggestions but it's still marketing i think too with instagram ads they're doing that with paid Influencer promotions—that's also being done. It's really, really interesting to see. And so, I mean, I'm not a—I'm a, not a millionaire, <laughs> um, so I am not buying luxury self-care. But there is a clear demarc line of demarcation between luxury self-care and budget self-care. Which is budget self-care is is more my my speed. Um, the cheaper I can make self-care, the happier I am. But there's a luxury self-care of like buying. Certain items, or going on like a, a trip to like Dubai for like <laughs> your mental health day, or something like that. And I think, too, then you, especially on social media, and I will acknowledge that we are to blame for what we consume to a degree, but social media does put forth this image of self care being aesthetically beautiful and unattainable in the same way because when you have people doing these luxury luxurious things it's hard not to feel left out it's hard not to feel as if your self-care even if in the moment it made you feel great and top tier it makes you feel like your self-care just isn't cutting it but the important thing to remember there is that you aren't that person and that person isn't you and so what that person needs is not automatically what you need maybe they need that maybe they need to go to Dubai to unwind for two days and then come back home. Maybe they need that. But if you went, maybe you'd be really stressed and it wouldn't be all that relaxing. You know what I mean? So it's being able to kind of look at it and go, okay, what's for them is not automatically for me. And yeah, I guess the thing is with social media that because it's out there and we can all see it, we're just kind of free to judge it, which is wrong. I'm not going to say I don't, but there was an interesting like angle to this like self-care i don't even want to call it a story i it got lots of airtime and play and whatever um from other people that aren't me so i don't really need to contribute but there was this influencer who spent like thousands and i'm not exaggerating thousands of dollars a month on water i believe it was over 2000 a month on just Voss water and a quote from his i believe it's a TikTok. Um, his caption was that it's, and I quote, it's honestly a fashion accessory at this point. And then like little water droplet emoji. Um, he hashtags it luxury, hashtag lifestyle, hashtag wealthy mindset, which is kind of funny. Hashtag mansion, hashtag rich, hashtag boss, hashtag water. In case you didn't know, boss water is a uh, brand of water. Comes in a glass bottle. I'm almost certain. Comes in a glass bottle. They're like decently sized. I don't know if they're even, they're not a leader. That's for sure. This influencer spends over $2,000 a month on Voss water that's delivered directly to his house. Um, He calls himself a water snob. That's not me putting that label on. He says he's a water snob and it's a luxury. Um, And he keeps all this water in four refrigerators in his home. And it just, I guess, I know I just said the judgment of how others perform self-care. I will say, though, this is a lot of money, even for a rich person, which I, I don't know what he does. Um, even for a rich person, $2,000 is a lot of money to spend on just water that you then put into fridges, so they're refrigerated that you have to pay the electricity bill for, and then just, there's just levels to this self-care thing that, I mean, there are levels I'm never going to get to. This level, I don't think it's in my future, and I am decidedly okay with that. But it is just very interesting to see that people can spend or justify spending a certain amount of money on their self-care and feel good about that. I mean, I'm not saying he should feel bad. But it is interesting that you know life is just existing different for some people so yeah there's barriers to self-care there's money um there's there's knowledge in terms of you know cultural differences there's time some people don't have the ability to just take time for self-care life moves too fast for some people life just doesn't stop for others and self-care really is even if it doesn't come with a health, hefty price tag it's a luxury in its own right. It's truly a luxury in its own right. I guess my point for this part of our podcast, for this little bit of gossip, was or is that uh, as good as self-care can make you feel, as good as it is to have and to look towards, um, it's not enough. And I don't mean like go to therapy because therapy is, yeah, don't use therapy as a crutch or like a blanket to solve everything. But I think ultimately to bring people out of hardship, to bring people out of struggle, to put an end to things like generational trauma. You can't self-care your way out of that. You can't I'm oh I mask that's what they're called. You can't I mask your way out of that. Communities need to thrive and survive and and sustain themselves and self-care alone. Products and trips and aesthetics and posts are not enough to heal people. So I think as long as we keep that in mind. Self-care isn't the worst thing, certainly. There's worse things out there, I promise you. Um, But it shouldn't be the band-aid through which we're trying to fix our lives, you know? That's just my two cents on it. I feel like that got very critical, (laughs) which wasn't my point. I also want to talk about work-life balance. Let's move on. So work-life balance, okay. Okay, okay, okay. i just going to say I work a lot. Too much. Too much. Family, friends who are... Going to listen, maybe, if they decide they want to. I know I work too much. I am working on it. But the way I kind of juggle things, and I didn't say juggle them well, I operate on lists upon lists upon lists to kind of establish my work life balance. I also make sure that my work has hard end time. So that's not to say I don't work like a little later if I need to get something done or if I need to draft an email, but the need has to be huge, like huge to the point where, like, tomorrow, if I don't do this, My entire morning will be off. That kind of huge. If it's like a little annoyance, I'm not going to do it because I need to, especially now that we're all working from home, I need to have clear boundaries, you know? And I recognize that I have a little bit of privilege here for like the first time in my life um, where I can say that I'm done and no one is going to hound me for more work or disrespect my time. I'm very fortunate to have great, great bosses and great higher-ups. So that's how I, you know, keep myself organized in that my clock-out time is my clock-out time. I will change it if I need to, but again, that need has to be huge, right? Because you can't be giving extra hours, extra life to things that, to things that make you unhappy, right? Like, can you imagine working an extra one or two hours every week for a job that you dread going to in the morning? I'm not saying quit your job, but I am saying um, if you can, just end at 4.30 or 5.30 or whatever your end time is, and you're paid to work those hours if it is not a detriment to you as an employee, to your contract, to your job or your responsibilities. And I think we kind of all had this idea ingrained in us at least my generation did that you have to work hard because you owe your life to a company. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't owe anyone your labor technically. Like you need money to survive, don't get me wrong, but you don't owe anyone anything. Okay? You don't. You don't. Every job I've ever quit, they found someone else. Okay? It's not like they it's not like they were on their knees Begging, begging me specifically to come back. Every job I quit, they found somebody else. And I gave them a heads up and they found someone else in no time. You know what I mean? So you can't be giving your entire life to things because you think it makes you stand out as an employee. Because when you leave, if you leave, they will find somebody else. The company won't go under. Every job I've ever quit, the company or the business still exists. In fact, maybe even thriving. That's a joke. I was a great employee, but I like I don't. I've never even I've never been written up, so I I do think objectively I was a good employee. Um, depends how who you ask, obviously. So yeah, no. I use lists to keep on top of everything. Um, I have like a to do list for work. Um, I have a personal planner, which it's been about three years since I started using planners. Can't imagine not using them. I use them in school. Now I use them in life and it's just so much nicer. It helps me visualize things a lot more. And then I keep like a to-do list, like sticky notes, a post thing to jot things down on. And listen, does everything on the list get done all the time? No, no, it doesn't. A lot of stuff gets pushed around and moved around, but there's a satisfaction with ticking things off or crossing things out that if I did nothing else that day, I at least was able to focus on that one thing, you know? And so that's helpful and, and, and great in its own way, too. It makes you feel fulfilled. It makes you feel like you're making progress. But the term work-life balance is kind of used to describe the balance that, you know, a person needs between their time that's allocated for work and the time that's allocated for other aspects of life. So some people choose to see work and personal time as separate. Others don't. And so I guess the debate about work-life balance kind of lies therein about, What's work? What's life? And can they not be blended together? I I don't know where I stand in the debate per se, but I do think there is a better balance to be had about work. We have this like grind culture, that kind of mentality where like people are telling you like you have to just hustle, hustle, hustle. But everyone that's ever told me I have to hustle until my like my skin tears or my bones break or something, they have not seemed happy. Okay, there's a difference between working hard and hustling. Working hard has an endpoint. Eventually, it might be far. Like when I was working on my thesis, thes- thesis, was <laughs> so working on my thesis. It was a grind in the sense that I had to work very hard because the endpoint kept getting moved away, thanks to you know COVID. But also, it's 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 a long undertaking. It's a long in- endeavor. But there was an endpoint. Eventually, it would end. Right. If someone gave me my thesis and was just like hustle and there's no end in sight, I would combust. I would actually combust. Because hustle for who with no breaks, no endpoint. I can't come and now die for a document. Are you serious? So it's 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 that. Like, I guess I'm not one to dictate, and I know I'm not one to dictate what percentage of a work-life balance people should have, but this grind to just grind, no breaks all the time, and just build that into life, that seems objectively pretty sad. Not saying you don't have to work hard for periods of time. Getting a business off the ground is not easy, but even that has an eventual endpoint where things are to be good. You couldn't run a business of just grinding the entire time doing business and still just grinding. That would be, you would exhaust yourself. You would exhaust yourself and it would be <laughs> tiring. So I guess there is that, there's that debate and kind of the culture that currently exists, at least in North America and the part of North America I live in. And, and maybe it comes from the fact that a lot of employers don't really have the empathy to give their employees a work-life balance. There are employers who don't have that sort of empathy towards the work-life balance of their employees, which is really unfortunate, really sad, and something that absolutely needs to change right away because people can only put their best foot forward when they feel respected, when they feel supported, and when they feel cared for. I'm not going to give any percent of myself to a job if I don't feel like I'm respected, I don't feel like I have any support, and I don't think I'm cared for because how can I clock in eight hours a day, commute, say thirty minutes both ways for fifty two weeks leave a year, give or take holidays, forty years straight, if I don't have those things. It's a really it's a really difficult place to be. Honestly, it wasn't until recently where I quit jobs I didn't like. Because up until that point I would work, 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 work. Um, even if I didn't like the job, because I didn't want anything bad to be, you know, written in my file or anything should someone come and knock in for (laughs) a resume I don't know a letter so even if I was miserable and I didn't like going I would just work and work and work and work and I just keep going and it wasn't until I was at my like breaking point that I would even look for another job you know I wouldn't even like think to look for anything else because I'd just be like well I should be grateful to have this job or I should be grateful to have this employer even if you know it's not going great and I'm not being treated the way I would like I have a job and so I don't, I shouldn't look for better. was kind of the mentality I held on to. It wasn't until recently that I fully made the decision to just leave things that didn't work for me, um, that didn't make me feel good, that didn't make me happy. And that took quite a bit, you know, especially because we're all kind of encouraged to stick things out until we can't anymore, just stick things out until it stops being rough. It wasn't any less scary doing it. And I'm still gonna be honest, not super comfortable doing it, but it has to be done sometimes. So if work-life balance is not achievable because your employer is not and will not and cannot provide you even like a modicum of respect or support or care, if you got internet, there's there's jobs out there. That's, that's all I'll say. Um, yeah, I think another part of this work-life balance debate too is do people need their life to have purpose outside of work? There's some people who love their jobs and they identify themselves as their role and their role solely. And that's that's fine. Everyone differs in that some people are fine with that, others aren't. I like my jobs, but as much as I like them, they are not my sole reason for being on this earth. Not in like a whimsical way, because like I said, I understand that I need to work to make money and I do that. But if I were to describe myself to a complete stranger and they asked, Who am I? My jobs would not be the first thing I say. I think they'd probably be the fifth or sixth. And so for me, then, yeah, I need the things I'm saying before I say my role at a, at a job. Those are the things that constitute me. And those are the things that are, I guess, in a whimsical way, my passion in life. Uh, those are the things that give my life purpose. But some people are fine just holding on to hobbies and activities and not, you know, having this grandiose meaning for, for life or needing life to have a purpose so distinctly different from work. It's it's really interesting. Um, And in, in looking up this topic and researching it and trying to get my thoughts down, the Harvard Business Review did a what would I call it, like a little breakdown of steps for, I guess, initiating a proper work-life balance. Um, So it's titled, if you ever want to look it up, it's titled, Work-Life Balance is a Cycle, Not an Achievement. So the first step is to pause and denormalize. So what they're asking here is to take a step back and really ask yourself, what's stressing you out? What's making you unbalanced? What's causing dissatisfaction? And how is that impacting how you perform and engage with your job? the second thing is to pay attention to your emotions so once you kind of have a better understanding of your situation and examine how that situation causes you to feel you can kind of appropriately react to it so it says emotional reflexivity is the capacity to recognize how a situation is making you feel this sounds like just being self-aware but again this is not like my field of study so maybe that's different from being self-aware Your third task then is to reprioritize. So through the increasing cognitive and emotional awareness you've now given yourself, congrats, A+. You have to put things into perspective and kind of determine how your priorities need to be adjusted. So throughout this whole thing, it sounds like the work is on you, which I think is great. I think having to work on yourself and do the work on yourself and and showcase your own agency is a big, big bonus. One very key thing, though, in, in number three that I thought was something that a lot of things, a lot of times we don't ask ourselves is what are you willing to sacrifice and for how long? So if it's your, we won't say happiness, that's too broad, but if it's your uh, leisure time, if it's your leisure time that you're willing to sacrifice for a job, for example, how long before it negatively impacts you, how long are you willing to sacrifice that? Right, it forces you to think like we can all make sacrifices. Most people are happy to make some sort of sacrifice for others, right? We can all be selfless, which is great. Being selfless is good it, as long as it's not exploited. It's a great thing to be selfless, but how long are you willing to do that? And it's just kind of like with the grinding or the hustle, the hustle culture with no endpoint. If there's no endpoint, what are you aiming for? If it's no endpoint, how is this not just going to further hurt you? You know what I mean? Um the fourth point says consider your alternatives so reflect on the aspects of your work and life that could be different or to better align with you know the aforementioned priorities are there components of your job that you would like to be changed um how much time would you like to spend with your family or on hobbies and things like that and so here's where i guess it kind of better aligns with what i what i thought i guess i was too critical at the gate that's my bad but you know now here's where it's kind of going like you have these two things you are in these two worlds what shifts to better link them up? Kind of like puzzle pieces. Or what What do you ultimately want? What do you want to do? What do you want to see change? It doesn't have to be the whole job, right? But what parts of it do you want to see altered? And then the last point that they had is that you implement the changes. So once you've kind of done all this work and this unpacking, you go forward and implement the changes. You recognize your priorities. And you, so you put forward into action the items that will... Make you feel better or improved in whatever way. Ultimately, the, the review, the write up article, I suppose, is about implementing changes, not on a one time activity, but like it mentioned in its title, a, a cycle. Um, you evaluate, you reevaluate, you improve. You evaluate, reevaluate, you improve. The journey to creating a life that you want is going to change as you change, right? You're not the same person you were a year ago and you're not going to be the same person 15 years in the future, right? For better or for worse, people change. No one is the exact same person they were when they were in grade three because life happens around you and life happens to you. So ultimately, life is hard and work is hard. And instead of us trying to find this perfect balance that's so effective and has no gaps and has no flaws we just have to take a step back breathe adjust when we need adjust when we can and push forward okay last topic super brief getting that you know critical thinking i feel like it was this episode was less gossip which i should wear more gossip but I just had these things to get off my chest. And is it a little self-serving to just force people to listen to things that I just want to get off my chest? Maybe. But you're here and I am incredibly grateful for you. And I hope at least my really bad jokes help uh, or my dry humor. Anyway, pandemic lessons. So as you know, there has been a pandemic going around unless I'm releasing this in like 2085, which awesome. Um, I will wait, 2085 is, I mean, maybe I'll be here. I don't know. Anyway, pandemic lessons that I've learned. So I've learned boundaries. I can't give too much of my time to things or people that just are not, don't want to say not on the same wavelength, but just not aligned, I guess, to what I need. That just comes from overextending myself Um, not putting up boundaries. And so then when you do say no to people, no one that I am mentioning in this is going to listen to this. Okay. But when you do say no to people who are so used to you not having walls up or even a gate, um, there's blowback. There really is. And so that was a hard lesson of the pandemic. Definitely a hard one. By erecting boundaries, people will take that as a sign of you burning bridges. But hey, if it protects your peace, do it. Um, I also learned to do my own hair during the pandemic, which was something my mother told me I should learn how to do a lot. Probably for the last 10 years, she's been telling me I should learn how to do my own hair. Refused. The pandemic forced me to, and I have yet to actually get my hair done. So I've saved a lot of money. Um, Getting better at it, I'd like to think, Uh, but also it doesn't matter because no one's really going anywhere anyway, so it doesn't have to look good. I've also learned to enjoy hobbies I'm bad at, and... I'm not trying to get good at them. So what I mean is that I like writing anything really, but also specifically poetry. But I'm not actively trying to get to the point where it's like marketable, you know what I mean? Or like able to be sold. I'm just trying to write and have a good time and enjoy it and just get all my feelings and emotions out onto a page um, in a format that makes sense to me and brings me closer to, I guess, closure for the things I need closure from, right? I'm also knitting. Um, I'm not a great knitter. Uh, I don't intend to be, and I'm just going to keep at it. So I think I've just learned that not everything has to be one good, but also I don't need to try and get better at something. I think there's something insanely human in just doing things poorly and being content with that. You know, I think so much of my other work and stuff I do, the point is to improve, which with fitness for safety, just for safety alone, you need to get better at things. Um, you cannot be lifting with improper form. Doesn't mean you have to lift a ton. Doesn't mean your strength has to go up so high, but you need to be able to lift properly. So there is improvement there. But with things like knitting or, or writing uh, poetry, with things like that, I don't have to get good at them. You know, I can knit the standard knit stitch. I don't even know what it's called. That's how out of the knitting realm I am. I don't even know what the stitches are called. There's holes in the blanket I'm making it's fine. I've been working on it for two years. It's going, you know? So there's no need to be good at everything. Not everything needs to be monetized. Not everything needs to be commercialized. Not everything you need to profit off of or else what are you going to have left that's just pure joy? Valuing my space. I have valued my space, both my physical space, the setup, the environment that I, the environments I inhabit, but then also my like mental space and my space from people so that kind of plays into boundaries but I've always functioned better in a clean space Not doesn't have to be spotless but it does have to have some method to the madness you know what I mean um so there's currently books on my desk they're all kind of they're stacked together there's papers coming out of some of them um stuff coming out of the side but they have a space and that's their space and they're over there I have my planner on my desk my planner is always stacked on top of If there's just a pile of papers, bills, documents, work stuff, it's stacked with them or on top of them. It might not be clean, but they're together. You know what I mean? So in setting up a space, especially working from home, I've come to value that so much more. Um, I'm not by nature a messy person, but when it comes to paper, because... So much of my life was being a student and so much of my job is paperwork and documents and and, and reading reports and things like that. Uh, It got very easy to get messy with, with all the paper. So valuing my physical space has been really, really great. And on top of that, valuing my mental space, I've just, I'm working on it to fully get there, but I have gotten so much better at just not wanting to go places. So I'm a homebody for the most part. Though I do, I I, I like people. I, I do like being with people and people fascinate me. But I also know myself much better now. And so I know when I am not going to be good company. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how that comes off to other people. If I'm being, and this isn't a specific example that's happened. I'm just generalizing here but if i'm being invited to say drinks at a friend's house um it's like eight hey, people that i that i like that i i love hanging out with they're funny blah 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 but i know to myself that i just don't want to be around people i don't have anywhere to be i'm probably not gonna do anything at home except be on my phone maybe read a book maybe knit but that's a big maybe so i know i have nowhere else to be i know i'm not doing anything better i would usually just go and I would go, not even really be present, and just kind of fake my way through the evening, right? Because who wants to be a Debbie Downer? And so I've just gotten so much better during the pandemic saying, I don't want to go, or that doesn't interest me. And people do ask, like, okay, well, what else are you doing? And I've just gotten better saying, I'm, I'm doing nothing. I am quite literally doing nothing. Like, I don't think there's a need to lie to people, because um, if you lie, then it makes it seem like you're doing something wrong. But I'm doing nothing. But I know myself and I know I don't want to go badly enough that I will be good company. I will probably be emotionally spent an hour and a half in and then just spend the rest of the two hours dreaming of not being there, you know? And that's not a fault to anybody. Some people's brains just don't work continuously the same way other people's do. And that's just the way my brain is. And rather than force it to do things that I know ultimately make me feel worse, just for the sake of, I guess, politeness politics, I just don't do them. I just value my mental space so much more, which has been great. And the last pandemic lesson I learned is that, well, I guess I always knew this and it's cliche to say, but life is meant to be lived. Now, is that something I remember always? No. Is that something I embrace always or that I wake up and I'm just ecstatic to be here? No. But it is the general theme that life is meant to be lived and it can be lived in whatever format you deem is important. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It doesn't have to please anybody else because no one else lives in your body and no one else has your brain. So life is meant to be lived and you deserve to be here to live it. So I guess some introspection came out of this pandemic besides you know the (laughs) the whole everything else that came out of it oh man what a long long road it has been yeah that's all I had today thank you for tuning in thank you for listening to me still in the early days still trying to work all this out so I really do appreciate you sticking through all the glitches and the hiccups and the awkwardness and everything else that's to come thanks for listening We'll talk real soon.